You all thought you knew that old song, didn't you? <laughs> I didn't either. I thought I did. Welcome. Glad that you are here uh, this morning. If you are a guest of ours, we are honored to have you here. It is officially summer. We're in summer full swing, which means there's a lot of people who aren't here. That means there's a lot of other people who have, who have showed up here this morning. And I don't think that's an accident. Uh, I don't think us being together this morning is by chance. God put us together here this morning to worship. And what an honor to experience uh, worshiping God together. We are right in the middle of a sermon series where we are talking about that section of Scripture at the end of Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul tells us to put on the armor of God. And Paul is teaching us, instructing us to prepare for battle. And he's reminding us that we are all in a battle. Whether you choose it or not, whether you decide you would like to sit out or not, you are in a battle. And he also reminds us who the enemy is. It is not flesh and blood. It's not our neighbor. It's not someone far away. He talks about our enemy uh, doing battle in spiritual realms. Uh, talks about um, uh, dark forces. He wants to remind us that our, our enemy is Satan. And so we've been going week by week, kind of looking piece by piece of this armor that Paul uh, encourages us to be armed with. And every week so far, we have read through that whole passage in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to do that again today. We're going to do it again next week as well because there's something really powerful about hearing and reading the Word of God. So Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, Stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This morning, we are going to focus on the shield of faith. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And in the past couple weeks, I have spent a little bit of time talking about the uh, piece of armament that Paul mentions, and then spending quite a bit more time talking about what that means to us as followers of Jesus. I want to do that again this morning, spend just a little bit of time talking about a Roman soldier's shield, then spend a lot more time talking about why Paul would tell us to put on, take up the shield of faith. And I will admit to you, I am not an expert in first century uh, warfare, not at all. But I am a fairly dedicated researcher, so let me share with you a couple things that I found out about a Roman soldier's shield. And the first thing is, they were pretty big. It wasn't Captain America's shield. No, they didn't wear it like this. 
The shields that a Roman soldier would, would, would carry would be about four feet tall, about two and a half feet wide. They'd be covered in leather, banded with, with, with metal to hold the leather in place. It was, it was a significant piece of, of warfare, and it was incredibly important to the soldier. No soldier would ever go into battle without their shield. Uh, a couple things about those shields. Again, a couple things that I didn't even know. First, history tells us that Roman soldiers would, would soak their shields in water the night before a battle. They were lined with, you know, covered in leather, so the leather would get wet, it would absorb that water, it would stay wet for most of the next day. Remember Paul said, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one? Why did Paul, why did Paul use the imagery of flaming arrows? Because that's what the enemy used. The first volley was usually archers, and quite often those arrows were on fire, flaming. So are we to believe that a shield soaked in water would extinguish a flaming arrow? No. But we are to believe that a shield, a wooden shield coated with, uh, with leather that was wet would cause those arrows to bounce off. Now think about where they did battle. Pretty dry region. Pretty arid spot. Think of hundreds of flaming arrows bouncing off. You know, fires would get started. The things would catch on fire. And quite often, an army would be so busy kind of putting out the fires, worried about the fires that are on around them, that they'd lose track of what the enemy was doing. So those shields that were soaked in water could actually be used to, to snuff out, to smother, to extinguish the fires that were burning around them. Second thing, those shields were used for communal defense. Now, Rome was really good at this. In fact, Rome is kind of famous for this. If you, if you know anything about Roman history, especially military history, that'll look familiar to you. Rome kind of came up with this, this idea of getting uh, an army together and using their shields for defense. They'd get everybody in a line, and, and they'd get in tight, and those, armors, uh, those soldiers that were in the middle would actually uh, bend down, and, and they'd put their shield up on top of their heads so that they were just tight there. It's called a tortoise formation. You know why? It looks like a tortoise, right? There's a shell there. It's really hard for arrows to, to penetrate that. A third thing, a Roman soldier's shield was slightly bowed, and it was designed to overlap other shields. You can sort of see it there in that picture as well. So soldiers would align themselves. They would make actually a wall with their shields in front of them, a wall of defense. But they also used those shields as sometimes a wedge to break through an enemy's line of defense as well. So a shield was really important to a Roman soldier. So what does it mean when Paul says that we're to take up the shield of faith. I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but I think it's interesting that Paul uses the imagery of a shield and connects it to faith. Take up the shield of faith, which with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Here's a really important concept that, that intellectually we know, but I think maybe we need to be reminded of because I think maybe we, we miss it sometimes. Paul is talking about faith. 
Faith in what? Faith in who? You know, in the faith for faith's sake? No. He's talking about faith in God, right? A, a faith in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. You say, well, everybody knows that. Uh, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? But here's why I say we, we, we sometimes miss it. It's not the strength of your faith, but rather the object of your faith that makes the real difference. That's an important important reality. It's not necessarily the strength of your faith as much as it is the uh, object of your faith that really makes a difference. Timothy Keller, who just recently passed away, has a, a great image to go along with this idea. He talks about standing on the edge of a large cliff and you're losing your footing and you're about to fall over the edge of the cliff and you see a branch kind of sticking out over the edge and you know with certainty that that branch is strong enough to hold you. So here you are, you're falling over the edge and here's a branch that can hold you and in your mind you think to yourself, I know that branch can hold my weight but you don't reach out and grab it. What happens? You're lost. On the other hand, If you're about to fall over the cliff and you see a branch and you think in your mind, I have no idea if that branch is going to hold me. I have no idea how strong that branch is. I don't know if that branch is going to help me to survive, but you grab it anyway, what happens? You're saved, right? Why? Because it's not the strength of your faith, but rather the object of your faith that saves you. And then... Keller kind of concludes it with with these words. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. That is a great statement. And you're going to have to think about it for for a day or two. (laughs) I've been thinking about it for several days. But that is so true. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. It's the object of your faith that makes the difference, not necessarily just the strength of your faith. And that's significant. And that's really good news. And it's really good news to people like me who sometimes feel like my faith is kind of weak. You know, my my faith is sort of waning right now. Uh, My faith feels small. We feel defeated when our faith isn't what it should be. When in reality, the thing that defeats us isn't when our faith isn't what it should be. What defeats us is when our faith isn't where it should be. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says that through faith, we are shielded by God's power. And then Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you, the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. 
My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is not in our own wisdom, our own abilities. Our faith is not in some person or a plan or a system. Our faith is in God, His almighty power. So we take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. When Paul makes that statement, he's making an assumption. And his assumption is that the evil one, the enemy, is going to bring the fire. He's going to attack. And he's going to attack with flaming arrows. As Christians, we shouldn't be surprised when the fire comes. We shouldn't be surprised when flaming arrows come our way. Don't get surprised when life gets hard. You ever heard someone say, maybe you've said it yourself, why is this happening to me? My faith is in God. Why is this happening to me? God doesn't give you a shield of faith as an insurance policy to keep you from suffering. He gives you a shield of faith to help you function through the suffering. That's what our faith does. Jesus says in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Paul promises that Satan is going to launch flaming arrows. That's why we have a shield of faith. Because the enemy is launching flaming arrows. It's like a police officer who's saying, why is everybody shooting at me? I'm wearing a, a, a bulletproof vest. You're wearing a bulletproof vest because everybody's shooting at you. We have a shield of faith because the enemy is firing, is, is shooting flaming arrows at us. Think about this. I mentioned that for the Roman soldier, even those flaming arrows that didn't kill them could still light fires all around them. Could still be massive distractions for the soldier. Flaming arrows from the enemy, if not fatal, can still produce massive distractions. You know, how many lives have been destroyed by a situation, by a sin that's just been allowed to burn out of control? Think of all the heartache that, that we or our loved ones have experienced because of debt, or mistrust in a marriage, pornography, sexual promiscuity, destructive relationships. And so often, you can trace those things back to a single arrow that we didn't extinguish when we had the chance. And you know, you know, if you had the opportunity, if you could somehow go back in time and do it again, you know you would make a different decision. You know you would choose a different path. You would respond differently to that one temptation because a sin that has burned out of control, a single arrow that wasn't extinguished, has just wreaked havoc in your life and in your family's lives. In fact, you, you really can't focus on what else is around you because you're so busy putting out fires from that flaming arrow. 
James says in James chapter 1, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Having the shield of faith means trusting God with our desires. Trusting God with our passions. James says, when my own evil desire drags me away from God, once I follow my own evil desires, that leads to sin. That sin leads to death. Let me share something with you that someone shared with me. It's helped me. It's simple, which is helpful to me too. When you feel that you're being enticed, when you feel that you're being uh, tempted, when you feel that you, you, you feel like doing something that you know is out of God's will, you need to ask yourself three questions. One, is God love? Is God smarter than me? Can God be trusted? When, when you're about to do something that you know, and you know these things, this isn't God's will for my life. Just ask yourself those three questions. Is God love? Is God smarter than me? And can God be trusted? And the way you answer those questions is going to go a long way toward how you respond to those flaming arrows that come your way. In almost every situation, when I do things my way, when I ignore God, when I disobey God's teaching, almost every situation, whether I admit it or not, whether I realize it or not, I have decided either God is not love. He doesn't really love me. He doesn't want the best for me. Or I've decided I know a little bit more than God. I understand things. I see things a little bit uh, more clearly than God does. Or I've decided God can't really be trusted to keep his promises. And aren't all three of those questions a matter of faith? Doesn't that go back to the object of my faith? You know, I, I made the statement a minute ago that, that our, our faith is in God, and you all looked at me like, well, of course, you fool. Well, everybody knows that. Our faith is in God. Is it? Is your faith really in God? Do you really believe that he loves you? And that he wants the very best for you? That he wants you to have a life and a full life? Do you really believe that he's smarter than you? That he knows the end of the story? He knows what you're, what, when what you're contemplating. He knows where that's going to lead to. Do you really believe he's smarter than you? And do you really believe that you can trust him to keep his promises? Is your shield in place? As we start to wrap this thing up, let me make just a couple quick observations about what we're to do with these shields of faith. Some observations about when, when our shields are at their best. And the first is this. Shields are at their best when they're soaked in the word. Romans 10. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. And we just keep coming back to that, don't we? In this series, we, we just keep coming back to the importance of the word. 
Roman soldiers soaked their shields in water to extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. We soak our shields in, in the Word of God. Colossians chapter 1. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard. It's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. If you continue in your faith, established and firmed, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Our shields are at their best. Our shields are at their most effective when they are soaked in the word. And then our, our shields are at their best when they overlap with other shields. We have talked at length about this family being a 242 family. We want to be devoted to those same things that those first followers of Jesus were devoted to in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We've talked about how desperately we need the support and the encouragement and the comfort and the accountability of each other. It is much easier to face flaming arrows when you're not facing them alone. Those Roman army understood the protection and, and the strength that came by grouping together, by being a, a unified force. We are so much stronger together than we are alone. We are so much safer together than we are alone. Philippians chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We are so much better together. We were created to be together. David wrote in Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live in unity. How good and pleasant it is. Isn't life better? Isn't life more pleasant when we as brothers and sisters live together in unity. And then finally, our shields of faith should be used to help us advance the kingdom. You know, we sang the song this morning, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. John, the apostle, didn't write that song. I'm giving him credit, however, for the title. Uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God, carrying out His commands. This is love for God, to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that's overcome the world. Even our faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith in God 
Faith in Jesus. Just as those Roman soldiers' shields allowed them to advance against the enemy, our shields of faith are intended to help us advance against the enemy as well. Prophet Isaiah says that no weapon fashioned against you will prevail. Not when we have the shield of faith. So we all need a really big shield. A shield that is soaked in the word. A shield that's connected to other shields, other soldiers. A shield that we use not to hunker down and and hope for the best, but to boldly advance the kingdom of Christ. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. This morning, as a, as a church family, if we can help you in any way, we've got a song of encouragement that we're going to sing. If you would meet us down front, if we can pray with you about anything, um, we invite you to meet us there. Let's go ahead and be standing while we sing.